Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. Mark Morano joins us today. He is founder and editor of ClimateDepot.com, author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change, and Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is Even Worse Than You Think. His new book is The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown, our topic today. Welcome, Mr. Morano. Thank you. Happy to be here today. appreciate the opportunity to talk about all this. Well, the the first obvious question, uh, well, maybe I should say this. Where did the term the Great Reset come from? And, well, actually, and, then we, and then you can tell us, what is it? Well, the term came from the World Economic Forum in Davos. And I believe the first use that I could trace was 2014. So it's a relatively new term. However, it's a term that is describing a same phenomenon that goes back at least 100 years in America to Woodrow Wilson's administration, and that is a managerial state or an administrative state, and even later, the, the new world order that was uh, ushered by a lot of the people in the, in the 1990s. So it's basically an updated phrase for the same organizations, groups that have been pushing sort of this globalist lack of sovereignty uh, version of the world. And you mentioned the World Economic Forum. Who, what, maybe who is the World Economic Forum and where or how does it get its power? Great question. Well, just to go back, the Great Reset was first mentioned in 2014. Then they did a series of slick videos talking about their vision, World Economic Forum. And it was two months after the COVID lockdowns began in June of 2020 that the head of it, Klaus Schwab, announced that we need a great reset of the world right now, a rare, narrow window of opportunity, and this time in the name of climate change. And they wanted a reset of capitalism. So where it comes from is this is he's a student. Uh, Klaus Schwab was heavily influenced by Henry Kissinger's sort of worldview when he was coming up at Harvard. And Klaus Schwab set up this World Economic Forum in the early 1970s. And the, the reason this is so influential is he saw he filled a niche. These annual meetings that they have in Davos are quite uh, attractive to politicians, businessmen, academics, celebrities, royal families, every billionaire, multimillionaire. And the reason they're so attractive is, especially for the political class, they can go to these meetings in the business class and they don't have to abide by lobbying regulations, fundraising limit. I mean, they can go to these meetings and they spend a week's they have them sometimes multiple times a year, but it's mostly the annual Davos meeting. And they can just, I guess the word you could use is collude on everything. And they have these meetings. They're generally, they have a big session out in the open, but most of the action takes place 
in all these private meetings. So you have the heads of the biggest companies, billionaires, millionaires meeting with secretaries of states, prime ministers, presidents, vice presidents, senators, congressmen, celebrities, and it's all off the books. And it's a great way to get these people together. So that's why they have so much influence. And from these meetings, things like environment and social governance, sustainable development, digital IDs, uh, credit card carbon footprint monitoring, COVID lockdowns, vaccine mandates, uh, all of these things literally are like, these are the brain trust meetings where they get together, they connect and they say, oh, you're trying to do this digital ID. Well, I have an investor over here in Singapore who's interested. And we got this Bill Gates you know, project we're starting here. This is how it all comes. And it's all, I want to repeat this again, the way they get their power. This is all essentially off the books. These are informal. And then they sort of make the connections, they turn them into actual reality. And so much of what we're seeing, particularly with COVID lockdowns and now climate change, can be traced back to the meetings and connections that people made at these annual Davos forums held by the World Economic Forum. Or I guess it's a mixture of, I mean, the people who attend, the people who go, it's a mixture of, you know, it serves their political ambitions. It might advance their wealth in in some ways. It gets them at the table, uh, you know, the prestige factor. All these things come into play to motivate people to attend these things. It's huge. In fact, I tried to go as a working journalist to the meeting and I talked to other people and you can't go. You first of all have to be essentially invited or approved and you have to pony up at least $35,000 minimum. That's if you're approved. And other outlets, I think Rebel News in Canada, they tried to go. All they were reduced to was out on the streets. They do not allow anyone in. These are very tightly controlled meetings. So it's not like you can just go cover it or go attend it. The people attending it aren't just like, hey, I think I'll go. You have to be welcome there. You have to be invited. You have to be simpatico with their ideas. Uh, let's put it this way. Donald Trump wouldn't be welcome there. Although Donald Trump did speak there when he was president and gave perhaps one of the most phenomenal speeches about climate change being essentially the modern fortune tellers of yesteryear today. And he gave a really hmm. damning speech, which is one of the reasons, of course, that climate was by one of the big reasons they wanted to oust him from office, as well as being against sort of that new world order, uh, George W. Bush uh, Republican push for all these wars. Yeah. You mentioned that the origins go go pretty far back. Well, it's, it's, this is not just a recent recent creation. What was the, quote, managerial revolution? Yeah, well, so I guess I should probably explain a little bit more about the Great Reset, and then I'll go back. Let me just yeah. give you a quick summary. The Great Reset is essentially a way, and the reason it came about in June 2020 in full force because of the head of the World Economic Forum, was they wanted to keep the COVID lockdowns going. So essentially, what were the COVID lockdowns? The key about the COVID lockdowns was not just the oppression and authoritarianism of government saying your churches are canceled, closed, schools closed, businesses closed, weddings, funerals closed. You can't have people over for backyard barbecue. Uh, uh, bureaucrats can now dictate stay-at-home orders, curfews. You can't fly. You can't go. It was much more than that. What they liked, particularly, and what the Great Reset at its heart is about, is the emergency 
declaration and emergency powers. And even Klaus Schwab has mentioned that emergency powers are one of some of the greatest advancements of government power in the history of our planet. And he's absolutely right. I go back to the Roman Republic through the Middle Ages, 1933 Germany, Italy, the 9-11, the uh, emergency declaration, which we're still under in the United States, the Patriot Act, surveillance only on terrorists, which then later became you know, people, parents protesting at a school board meeting then became declared domestic terrorists, subject to all sorts of surveillance techniques by our U.S. government. And then, of course, the COVID emergency, which Donald Trump unfortunately got duped into signing and then 15 days to flatten the curve. We're still living under the COVID emergency. This led, by the way, to the, the development of this rushed vaccine, which Donald Trump never should have been involved in. And the Operation Warp Speed, and also gave them complete liability, no liability and no uh, even testing because it was a rushed vaccine. And this is why you're getting all the boosters. This is how you're getting it for kids without any of the previous testing. All of this is due to emergency power. So what Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum loved was exactly that. And they wanted to move quickly. And so now they are moving quickly. The Associated Press and Washington Post have reported in July of 2022, this year, that Joe Biden is set to declare a national climate emergency, giving him 130 executive powers. Now, the key here to let you understand what the Great Reset is, it's bypassing democracy. It's it's literal admiration for China's one-party authoritarian rule. And I go back in the book and I show the New York Times columnists from Tom Friedman and others praising China's one-party rule without the messiness of democracy. UN climate chiefs praising China's one-party rule. Uh, Justin Trudeau admiring China's basic dictatorship, Obama administration officials. So what COVID lockdowns gave them was Chinese one-party rule in the once-free West. You no longer needed to go to your legislator, your parliament, your city hall, your supervisors, your state reps, and say, hey, I'd like to do the following. I'd like to shut churches and business. Oh, no reason. We don't have to vote on that. This is an emergency. We have all the power we need. Every governor, mayor became dictators overnight. That essentially is what the appeal for the World Economic Forum was. They could just impose their agenda without that nasty thing called actual democracy. So having said what I just said, if you go back to 1913, Woodrow Wilson's administration, top advisors, and Woodrow Wilson was absolutely uh, just admiring this whole concept of a managerial state. It was built as a way by intellectuals and the progressives of the time to help the common man. In other words, the common man, be he a farmer or a, a, a worker, uh, blue collar, living out in rural areas or a city, doesn't have the expertise. He doesn't have the finer degrees from Harvard and Yale and Ivy League schools. And he could use benefit of all these incredible experts out there who know everything and they could tell them how they should live their lives. Because face it, if we're left to the unwashed masses or left to their own devices, it will create chaos, racism, white supremacy. It'll create environmental destruction, economic havoc. Their lives can be much easier guided by experts. So there was actually an open plan, and I detail this in the book, to basically pitch this to people as, hey, all you got to worry about is you know, the elections won't even matter that much because most of the power is going to go to, to the, the executive branch and all these experts, and they're going to decide food and transportation. And so this morphed, and it wasn't, it, this was proposed. It didn't necessarily happen. So in the 1930s, 
it comes back with much more power into the 40s from the Great Depression. Roosevelt's kitchen cabinet advisor, a man named Stuart Chase, an economist, actually proposed really an early version of the Great Reset. He was calling for government control of means of communication. He actually called it propaganda, government control of agriculture, government control of transportation, government control of energy. Hey, what are we going through right now? It was an exact copy. And he actually had a chilling line in his 1932 book. This is Roosevelt's top advisor, Stuart Chase. Well, well, was he, uh, is that Chase Manhattan connection? I don't believe so. No, I didn't see that connection. Uh, Good question. Now, he was a socialist economist. I don't think he would have been Tied in with Chase Manhattan, but but you know that's something someone can check. I did not come across that. Am I? I don't believe so. So no, he was not. But anyway, so he he literally said in his 1932 book, "Why should the Soviet? Uh, yeah, Soviets have all the fun remaking the world." Now remember, this was in 1930s with Walter Duranty, the New York Times, was winning Pulitzers for how great the agriculture reforms of Stalin were, and you know, millions of people starving, and you had Lysenkoism, which was basically state-controlled science to achieve political ends at the time. And this is what the sort of progressive left really got uh, suckered in. I don't want to say suckered into, but they got uh, enamored with. So what happened was. And then this sort of fades. And then it sort of comes back again with LBJ, Great Society. But then it fades. And then aspects of it come back in the 1990s with the New World Order, which was more about national sovereignty and globalism, which then, of course, led to a lot of these free trade and quote agreements, which allowed China. And the the argument at the time was, hey, if we can get China economically strong, you know, there's never been a war with when each when two countries have had uh, each country had a McDonald's or whatever that saying is. They've always tried to say. And so they said China will become more like us as they get wealthy so we can do free, all this trade with them. Well, it turned out China gutted our industrial base. And instead of China becoming more like the free West, the once free West is now becoming rapidly like China with their social credit system, with their surveillance, with their one party rule, with their bypassing of democracy. And that is the sort of the that was the, that's the sort of the back of the envelope history of this whole movement that's led today to the Great Reset. Huh. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you were looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. In 2016, the World Economic Forum issued a video that laid out what life will be like in the year 2030. Now, yeah. as you know, they, they, they've taken that down, but you, 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 you lay out some of the details there. What, what do they envision uh, in, in 2030 in that video? Well, they say you'll own nothing. You'll be happy. Everything you want will be delivered by drone. Meat will be a rare and expensive treat. The U.S. will no longer be a superpower. Fighting climate change will be the number one, essentially one of the number one goals of the world. Uh, You will have no privacy, but you won't mind. Uh, And this is literally laid out in a series of slick videos. And they got, of course, a lot of attention. And then the World Economic Forum tried to pull the videos and then other people saved them and, you know, archives. 
but they were embarrassed because they were a little too open about what their vision was. And, but it continues. One of the goals, I mean, let's, let's simplify this in, in what they're trying to do. And this goes back to Roosevelt's advisor, Stuart Chase. They're currently in the process of collapsing our current energy system. And we're seeing now from Europe to the United States, all over the world, literally facing of blackouts, skyrocketing electricity rates, just not enough. They've, they've made it so that electricity prices and electricity energy has finally, after decades of this green agenda, finally coming through. And then, of course, the Ukraine uh, war and all of the sanctions accelerated that. But they're also collapsing our food production right now. Net zero goals across the globe, starting in the Netherlands, have cutting high yield agriculture, which has fed the world, ended hunger, ended famines. They're now going after it, closing up to 12,000 family run, smaller, independent farms in the Netherlands. And then they're also, Bill Gates is now competing with China to buy up U.S. farmland as the number one single farmland owner. Bill Gates has passed China and his goal, stated goal, is to make people eat lab-grown meat in the Western world. And, and he's very specific. This is, this is not the Impossible Burger, which is a vegetable burger. This is lab-grown meat. They get stem cells from a cow. They get fetal blood from a calf or a sheep. Uh, and they then grow it in a lab. It's like an amorphous blob. And then they uh, you know, food coloring and they get a 3D printer. The World Economic Forum touts that you'll be able to print this lab-grown meat in a 3D printer, and you'll be able to print several ounces a minute. So it'll come out as sort of this goo, and then they'll add coloring and work on the texture, and you'll be able to print it up in your home. In addition, they're pushing insect eating, and this is huge. This is happening now. Australia, Europe, they're introducing cricket snacks and others to kids as a psych op. So once a kid who's maybe 10 years old eats crickets, even though they're all uh, in a uh, like a potato chip and it's grease and oil and fat and you can't really taste or see crickets, it's psychological, like, hey, eating insects is fun. So this is how they're playing that with kids. So they're also, they're collapsing the agriculture, collapsing the energy. They're also collapsing our transportation system. As an example, we have Gavin Newsom executive order, no vote, by the way, of California to ban gas-powered cars. A unelected, unaccountable bureaucracy, the California Air Resources Board, comes up with a timetable. 17 states, including my home state of Virginia, as a trigger law to follow California's environmental dictates. So now you have seven, 18 states going along with a, a gas-powered car ban. Well, that former head of the World Bank at a World Bank meeting said we need to come up with a timetable to end financing for gas-powered cars. So you have the World Bank ending it at the automaker level. You have Australian corporate banks saying they're not going to give out car loans anymore for anyone buying a gas-powered car. No one voted on this. No, there was no referendums, no congressional vote, no parliament. This was imposed. And the key here is uh, when they do this, they're creating intentional car shortages, a la Cuba, a la East Germany. Government In East Germany, the government said you can only buy one approved car. And they had a crappy East German Trabant. People had to get on waiting lists for years. That exact same thing is set to happen here. There is no way electric cars can ramp up. And you can never get enough rare earth mining to even meet it. So then you have that. And then you also have, as Stuart Chase, uh, Roosevelt's advisor, said, government control of communication and propaganda. Well, that's big tech censorship is government censorship. They're collapsing our free speech rights. We have all the T's crossed and dotted I's now. We've seen the Freedom of Information Act requests. 
the Biden administration sending the list of people to ban big tech saying we're on it, websites to ban big tech on it, all the corporate government collusion when it came to things like the Barrington Declaration, the scientists who were opposed to lockdowns that was colluded with at the highest levels of the US government from Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins working with the media to suppress um, they wanted to call them fringe epidemiologists, even though they had won Nobel Prizes and they were from Harvard and Yale. I mean, this is the world in which we're living. And that is the best explanation of the Great Reset in terms of where we are. So they're collapsing food, energy, transportation, communication, and they're going to be replacing it. We're already seeing calls now across the globe for nationalization, particularly of energy to start, because why? Well, the free market failed. And so we have the government needs to step in and, and take over. Same thing with food. They predicted for decades that climate change would cause food shortages. The opposite happened. NASA reported a global greening, shrinking deserts, increasing crop yields. Food is plentiful. But now, because of climate policy, they're going to be suppressing and attacking meat-eating, high-yield agriculture. So what's going to happen? Shortages. And they're going to blame that on climate change and say we need more policies, which will create more shortages. And they'll say, see how bad climate change is worse than we thought. This is the insane loop we're in. I blame Republicans probably more for this than Democrats because Republicans have been pathetic. Republican leadership has not stood up to any of this and they've allowed it for decades, paying lip service to the climate agenda, paying lip service uh, to all of these threats. And even now you have Republicans like Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell completely oblivious to everything I'm telling you right now. Other than, oh, energy costs are high, let's blame Biden and vote for Republicans. I, I don't expect much if Republicans win, other than to stop some of the uh, you know, extra bad stuff happening in, in Washington. You, you know, Mark, why did so few people in the West, or maybe in the United States, not rise up against the lockdown as a form of authoritarianism? Well, it's, it's, good. it's a great question, and I examined that in... On climate change, they tried for decades and they really didn't get anywhere. According to Gallup, concern over climate really didn't, it ebbed and flowed, but it didn't change much from the late 80s to present day. So one of the things they did is they tried to go after kids and they had, they had very good success. They had the rise of Greta Thunberg, the Sunrise Movement. When you fail to scare adults, it's much easier to scare children. And so you have, even now you have these kids throwing soup cans, uh, soup on Van Gogh's and gluing themselves to the floor at Volkswagen demanding pots to defecate in and all this, all this nonsense that the youth movements have been doing. And the key is they just couldn't scare people with climate. So a virus comes along and this, they decided to go all in. They came up with Spanish death toll, much higher death tolls. We had to do exactly what China did. This was a coordinated campaign that Neil Ferguson in the UK came out and said, with a ridiculous, insane, just you know, apocalyptic virus model that said we're all going to die, 20 million dead, unless we do what China did in lockdown. Unprecedented in human history to lock down a healthy population. Uh, and what happened was they had the same solutions and the same stuff that climate activists were clamoring for for decades. So this is the key. You asked a key question. Climate activists were initially jealous, and then they were like, we want in. And so what happened was they actually openly said, John Kerry said the, the parallels between climate and COVID are screaming at us. 
they loved everything about it. The halting of economic growth, because remember, the climate movement had talked about economic degrowth movement, planned recessions to fight global warming. In fact, the United Nations in November of 2019 said that we needed to reduce global emissions 7% every year to meet the UN Paris Climate Accords. Guess what happened when the world locked down? Emissions went down 7%. Imagine that. 2013, the UN top UN official, Ivo de Boer, actually stated the only way to meet our climate goals is to shut down the global economy. Imagine that. So climate activists were all excited. Not only did it cut down economic growth, but it stopped airline travel, car travel. It made meat expensive. It created chaos and supply chain. And this is, in fact, we have a quote, um, Jamie Margolis who's a climate activist with Teen Vogue, testified on Capitol Hill, one of these youth climate leaders, actually said it. She said, what, if we can lock down the world from, to save us from a virus, we can do the same thing for climate. Activist Jane Fonda actually said, COVID is God's gift to the left. So this is what happened. So you ask why people went along? Because they were initially afraid. And I would add, you give you one other reason. Donald Trump was president. If it was Hillary Clinton who stood on the same stage with Anthony Fauci and said, we're going to declare an emergency and lock down the entire country for 15 days. Do you think MAGA America would have uh, put up with that? I think they would soften the blow by having Donald Trump. He was the face. He, the, people knew he was skeptical of this whole you know, COVID lockdown response, but they went along because Trump was president. And then it, of course, morphed and kept going and going and going. And even when Donald Trump was urging reopening, you had half the country never going to reopen because they were blue states and the governors loved the power from, from Andrew Cuomo on to Newsom to Gretchen Whitmer. And so the die was set. And I call it, and I don't mean to bash Donald Trump too much, but it was the single greatest blunder of any US president in 50 years signing the COVID declaration and going along then with the 15 days to slow the spread. And we now know that Donald Trump was intentionally duped. Deborah Burks, his chief COVID responder, wrote a book recently, came out in August, bragging about how they did not have the data or any way to justify it. All they were trying to do was get Trump to agree to that. And then they were going to make sure that the 15 days kept going and going and going. And they were, oh, she's open about this in her book. Donald Trump was intentionally, essentially lied to and duped tricked and went, which then means he tricked the American people by telling them in this reasonable thing, just 15 days and we'll be reopening. We'll be reopened by Easter, you know, right after Easter. Never mm -hmm. happened. It, Mark, is there a, a portion of the population, not the elites, but a lot of people who we might even call them personality types who love the lockdowns, Oh love the masks, love, love, <laughs> yes. love, love climate, love, love visions of climate catastrophe. Yes. And that's, that's a sad state of, there's always going to be a percentage of the population that there was a movie uh, about East Germany years ago uh, about, a, about an old lady who had lived under East German communism her whole life. And I guess she had an operation and went into a coma. And when she awoke, the wall had fallen and they were all free people. Well, what was interesting about it is, she was so terrified of change and the kids knew it. They didn't tell her. They made her believe that she was still living under East German communism in order to keep her calm and happy. There are people who literally, uh, and we have, I'm talking like NBC news correspondents and reporters and producers who literally didn't leave the house 
for almost two straight years. They had all their food delivered and they wouldn't let their kids go anywhere. Trump's own Surgeon General, Jerome Adams, wouldn't let his college-age kid go to parties or go out. There are people who like the idea of being protected, of being safe, of having experts tell them what they can and can't do. Uh, and this is, you know, if you look at it, it's the NPR world, it's the CNN, it's the MSNBC. It's a huge percentage of progressives. And frankly, it's also a huge percentage of the mentally ill. And there were articles on this, people who can't quit lockdown. And there were articles in the Atlantic, articles in the New York Times, people who are going to continue wearing masks. The most insidious problem were the politicians. And I detail that, uh, whether it was in Scotland or other, or, or, uh, other countries, they, they were, politicians wanted permanent pandemic powers. And that made sense in, in the terms of human nature. A politician is going to love these kind of powers and they're not going to want to give it up. So you can understand why they did it. But some people... You know, there's an old, what's that old song? Some of them want to abuse you. Some of them want to use you. Uh, people just wanted to be told. They felt somehow safer that, um, and, that and, they were going to be like that. And, and, at the, and at the same time, those very people were downright vicious toward anyone who didn't go along. Yes. And that was the whole demonization. It's the same way. And I, I have, there's a book from 1985 called Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Well, everything I needed to know about COVID and COVID politics, I learned during the climate debate. And it's the same thing. If you are a dissenter, if they would call you a denier to try to link you to Holocaust denial, they would try to deplatform and cancel you. They would try to smear you. They would try to literally make it so you were an outlier. And this was exactly what they did. This is how every authoritarian regime gets its power. You have to crush dissent. You have to control the narrative. You have to control the propaganda, if you will, in the words of you know, FDR's advisor. And so that is what that is what we had to deal with. And, you know, I just wish that we had stronger leadership in March of 2020. I wish Scott Atlas had been at the White House. And instead, Donald Trump's picks were, again, I'm bashing Trump for some reason, but he had Redfield as CDC director, Scott Adams as um, his Surgeon General, and you can follow both of them. Redfield in August of 2020 announced if everyone would wear masks, we could save millions of lives. It was all just, he just cranked out the BS. This is why I don't like uh, uh, Vice President Pence. Nothing to do with the election or January 6th at all. It's all about him cozying up to Fauci, wearing the mask, getting the vaccine, never once complaining about lockdowns. He was a basically a stooge of the authoritarian public health bureaucracy. And to me, Mike Pence is dead to me politically forever because he, there was a moment where we needed a leader and he bowed down and just crumpled under like a you know, pile of dust. So, and, and that was the other thing. So you have people like Jerome Adams, Donald Trump's Surgeon General, who has since now said that we've never really locked down. He's still urging masking. Uh, this is a guy who never, uh, who, who should have been fired um, at the first stop. And same with Redfield, especially after he made the mask comments. But this is who, you know, Donald Trump made a lot of bad uh, appointee picks. And so uh, personnel matters. That's what I would say. And that's how we ended up in this mess. The, the book contains much, much more uh, on the performance of the CDC during this process. Uh, examinations of phenomena such as mass formation, psychosis, and social yes. credit scores. Uh, discussions of 
the ways in which elites so often violated their own strictures that they placed down on the rest of us. But for now, uh, the title of the book is The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. Mark Morano, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, my last chapter is The Great Reject, so it's not all hopeless. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.